Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 1 through 18 this morning, making our way through what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 1, says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. I just want to pray for a second. Lord, we ask that you would just illuminate your word to our hearts. Give us ears to hear what the spirit is saying to your church. And we do ask Lord that you'd be glorified in all of this. And so God help us not to be simply hearers, but doers and not only just doers, but doers with whole hearts in a way that would glorify you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So if you were with us last week, we saw how Jesus uh, corrected the teachings of the scribes and Pharisees that took the commandments and the laws of God and they interpreted them in such a way to where they would appear righteous before men and, and, and their own way of, of righteous before God. It was a selfish self-righteousness. And we tend to do that with the laws that we have around us. We, we don't do it with the heart and the intent of the law. We kind of, you know, instead of going 60 when it says to go 60, we go 64 and we put our cruise control in 64 because we know we can't get a ticket at 65. And you, you know, just me, anyone else? Okay, guilty. But the purpose of God's law was, was not that to show men that they're righteous. Hey, look, I've kept this law. I've done this. I've done that. Therefore, I'm right before God. That wasn't the purpose why God given the law, gave the law. Actually, Paul goes quite into this, into the depth. And he, and he says, listen, the law was given so that sin would be revealed within us and it would make us exceedingly sinful. The law doesn't show us that we're righteous. It shows us that we break it. That's what's in our hearts. I mean, how many of you have kids? Right. Amen. Yeah. I mean, how many of you are those kids? You know what I mean? You know, don't do this. And so therefore, what do you want to do? It shows that you want to break the law, that you're a lawbreaker. And that's God's purpose. The purpose of the law was not to show men that they're righteous before God, but rather the law was given to show that we are exceedingly sinful. And that the standard of God's righteousness, men, we don't attain it. Women, we don't attain that within our hearts. And that there's a standard that is holy and perfect, the law of God. There's nothing wrong with the law of God. It is holy and perfect and awesome. And it reflects God and who he is and his character and, and, all, and all his glory and his standard. And it's, it's so lofty and so mighty that, that we fall short before it. And, and I don't know how in the world we, you know, we, we go, okay, we got the Ten Commandments. Make sure we have the Ten Commandments in the school. I love the Ten Commandments, by the way. But I mean, they're there for a purpose, to show you you don't keep them, right? So you need the Ten Commandments driving you to a Savior. And that's the purpose of the law, is to drive you to the one who is righteous, Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit's conviction, we are driven to a righteousness that is apart from the law, Jesus Christ, and, and that's, that's the hope there. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they had developed a works-based righteousness, a self-righteousness. Uh, so they would say, because I did not murder, I didn't actually murder, therefore I've kept the law of God, and therefore I'm right before God. I'm righteous before God, and I'm righteous before others. There, uh, I did not commit the act of adultery, therefore I'm not guilty of adultery, therefore I'm righteous before God. I'm self, I've, I'm righteous. And see how, how convenient that is for us when we take the law of God and we make it fit our standards. But actually the intent of the law was it's not just the physical act. God demands a righteousness that is not only outside in our actions, but 
inside in our hearts and our tents. So it's not just murder. It's anger in our hearts towards a brother or towards a neighbor, towards someone else. It's not only that it's lust in your heart towards someone that is not your spouse, all that kind of stuff. So the same with divorce and interacting with enemies and so forth, which we just went through. It was really convenient to make divorce a convenient, a legal transaction. Therefore I'm out of this. When God says that's not the intent of marriage, marriage is something that God does. He puts two people together and it's for ever. And there's very few exceptions for getting out of that. People don't want to hear that. I understand that, but I, I'm just giving, Jesus just did a cross section of examples that smacks us all across different ways, right? We all kind of go, well, I'm good with that one. Oh, that one stinks. You know, the idea is that Jesus goes, yeah, we all kind of manipulate the law of God to make it seem like we're self-righteous, just like the Pharisees did. We're all kind of guilty of that. But God says, no, there, there is a, that's, that's, that's a convenience for you to interpret God's law to meet your own selfish, righteous standards, where you can appear righteous before others and appear righteous before God. But God knows the truth. And that's our tendency, but God requires a righteousness that is both inside and outside. And this is what we've been preaching on Jesus here in chapter six. He continues to teach in this vein. He moves to chapter six and he says, or as we're picking up this morning, six verse one says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Why? In order to be seen by them for then you will have, then you have uh, no reward from your father who is in heaven. And really, this is the main thrust of what Jesus is talking about this morning here in verse in the first 18 verses of chapter six. What Jesus is saying is, look, the scribes and the Pharisees, they live for the praise of people. How many of you struggle with that? How many of you live for the praise of people? You live for the attaboys of people. I mean, we all have it. Who, who, and we all want to be liked in some way, right? Who wants to go around being rejected all day, all that kind of stuff. But that's the thrust here. What Jesus is saying is, look, the scribes and the Pharisees, they live for the praise of people. And so they do what they do. Their, their religious rituals, their prayers, their fasting, and their giving, they do it in such a way not to glorify God, but so that people would see them as righteous, even though they weren't, and they would receive the praise of men. That's the tendency of human beings, by the way. That's the tendency of religion quite often. And Jesus warns his disciples and us that if that is your motive, if your motive is to do your righteous deeds, to be seen by others, that's why you go to church. That's why you give. That's why you pray. That's how you do what you do. That's why you serve. Then you've received your reward. You do not have a reward from your father in heaven. And Jesus is warning his disciples because he wants them to enjoy the richness and the fullness of God's blessing upon them in that relationship by doing their deeds in such a way that glorifies God and he rewards them. That's the most richest, deepest uh, reward that we can have. And so he warns his disciples about their motives. What's our motive this morning and, and why we came here this morning? What is our motive in giving? What is our motive in, in worship? What is our motive in all these different types of things? 
And so he shows us, Jesus shows us by three examples in the areas of giving prayer and fasting. We'll quickly go through them, giving prayer and fasting. And he shows us how each of, a, each of these can be done hypocritically and how each of these can be done in a way that honors and glorifies God. And so let's learn verse two. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you go as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their rewards. You know, one of the acts of righteousness that Jesus, you know, that we would expect any of us to, uh, to be engaged in as we are loving the Lord and following him, it'd be giving to the needy. You know, we know the commandment of God to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, right? We know from last week, our, the neighbor isn't just the people we like. It's actually extended to our enemies. And so there is, when we see a, like the, in the story of the good Samaritan, someone in need, someone hurting someone in a situation where they're, where they're, they need help. We are uh, compelled by love for God and love for one or t- to help one another. Amen. We, we give towards those circumstances. We help people. And obviously there's a lot of qualifiers and wisdom and all that stuff. Forget about that. The principle is that we give to people who are in need. That's what Christians do. We, we are like God. God is just benevolent, isn't he? It rains on the just and, and the unjust. He's just good. And so we're to be that way towards people as well. We're to be a vessel of God's grace to those in need. And the Pharisees knew this as well. They knew the principle, but apparently they did. So they, they acted this out in a hypocritical fashion. And the context here that Jesus is talking about is listen, the guys who are teaching the law, they're the hypocrites. They're teaching you one thing, obey what they say, but don't do what they do because this is what's going on. And so the Pharisees knew that there was a righteous requirement for God's people to give towards the needing. It's just how it is. And when they gave to the needy, both at the synagogue and on the street, apparently they did it in a way to receive praise. That was their motive. Their motive wasn't love for the Lord. It wasn't love for their neighbor. Jesus saw all through that. He said, no, the reason why they're doing what they're doing, the reason why they're giving is because they want the praise of men. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Hypocrite is just a Greek word for actors. That's what actors are. They're hypocrites. I'm not making They're They're putting on a facade of someone. They're not make sense. Or maybe they are. I don't know. That's the problem. No, I was kidding. But their motives are impure. And, and I don't say that I can't see into people's hearts. I don't know why people do what they do. I, that's, that's not me for me to know, but Jesus looks into their hearts and he saw that they were hypocrites. He sees what men don't. He sees why we do what we do. And in the area of giving, it's it's Jesus calls them hypocrites. They're actors. It wasn't genuinely giving in a way that honored God. It was, it was all about self giving in a way that would receive the praise of men. And, and I don't know if it's hyperbole or not when he talks about like, you know, don't blow a trumpet before you go. Maybe there were cases of people blowing trumpets. Uh, we, maybe you've seen movies where a King walks down the street and they're blown and then they help the needy as they go type of a thing. And everybody's going, Oh, look how benevolent the King is and look at how good everybody, you know, anybody's, you know, so maybe that's a situation. Uh, but the idea is they're drawing attention to themselves in their good deeds. 
That's the idea. They're drawing attention to themselves because their motive wasn't really glorifying God. It was receiving the praise of men. That's who they feared. That's who they respected. That's who they wanted um, their rewards from. And so Jesus says, Hey, guess what? If, if, if you're following in, the, in that way, you have your reward. What a bummer, <laughs> you know, I mean, how long do those attaboys last? How do they fill your soul? <laughs> you know what I mean? We've all done it. We've all been guilty of it. And so how are we actually to give, right? How, how are we to give to the needy or give to God in general? Verse three, this is a great principle for giving. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Some of your translations say will reward you openly. So now here's the principle. When we give, it's to be done in secret. That's, that's the default of how Christians are to give. It is to be something that is secretive. Uh, the, the reason for that is because uh, our motive isn't the praise of men. It is to glorify God. That's faith. Amen. If you are giving and no one sees it, then what's your motive? God, right? I mean, supposing you're doing it for God. That's, that's the idea. No one knows what you're doing, how much you're giving, who you're giving it to all that kind of stuff. You just give it in a way that is secretive between you and the Lord. It says that God sees this. He sees that. That's pretty, that's pretty neat. And so that's one of the indicators here. Jesus uses this imagery of not letting the left hand know what the right hand is doing. In other words, that's pretty hard to do, right? And so he's just saying, if it were possible, trick yourself to not even know you're doing it. Right? So uh, it's all about our motives. We're not to give for the praise of men, nor are we to give out of compulsion, by the way. Uh, God doesn't want you to give out of compulsion, being beat over the head or manipulated into giving. That's why I joke about Learjets and all that type of stuff. Listen, God's not sitting here trying to extrapolate funds out of you. He's good. Right? (laughs) But what does a heart that's been overwhelmed by the grace of God do? responds in worship. How's that worship manifested? Praise, worship, giving, uh, you know, evangelism, helping the needy, uh, service time, all those things. It's given out in your life, right? The first and the best as an offering to God. That's the idea there. So we're, you know, it's about our motives. We're not to give for the praise of men. We're not to give out of compulsion, but we are to give out of love for the Lord and love for one another. Amen. And isn't that the way that, that we feel like that would be, God would be honored. You, you see someone in need and you love God to the point where you're going, I cannot not do something about this. Amen. And you, and you reach in and you, and you go for it and, and, and you give now when it says do it in secret, this doesn't mean that people aren't going to see what you're doing all the time. That's the default. You want to try to operate in secret where people don't, don't know, you know, because we all get weird, right? <laughs> we want to keep our motives pure before the Lord. Uh, you know, you're, you're on the side of the road and, and someone needs help and you're just like, they're right there. 
you know, you're not going to do some mysterious plan. So they don't know it's you. You just like, you're going to help them. Right. (laughs) Hopefully. Right. You're not going to be so religious. You're like, don't do the very thing that's right in front of you. Amen. If a donkey's in a ditch, get it out. Like, yeah, people are sometimes going to see what happens. Like, uh, sometimes it's necessary to do it publicly because it's the loving and the right thing to do. But that's the exception church. Amen. That's the exception. Uh, like here at church, we have, we have offering boxes in the back, you know, and, and I'm just giving you an example. Now, if, you, if you're here, I, you know how often I talk about giving and all that stuff. I'm not going into a thing on giving, but if you're giving your motive is if you're giving and your motive is to be seen by others and you walk back there and you're like, you're waiting for the person, the right person to look, to see you pop it in. <laughs> You know, like, and you put the 20 on the outside and the one on the inside, you know, and you're, (laughs) and you go there and you're like, and you're like, okay, now, like, you know, keep it, please. Just, it's garbage, right? I know you think it's precious, but I mean, keep it. Go, go do, you know, go do something else with it. Amen. Amen. Yeah, it's God, God, that's, that's kind of a bunch of, that's what Jesus says. Stay away from that, right? But you know, it's like, that's when we gather on Sunday morning, people are going to plop their thing in there, right? They're going to, that's going to happen. It's going to happen, right? You can give online, all that good stuff. What I'm saying is that you can't get around often people seeing you do things, but don't let it be your motive. Amen. Don't let it be your motive. Let it be between, between you and the Lord. And so do whatever you can to make it in a way that your right hand doesn't know your left hand is doing and that no one else really knows what you're doing. Amen. Yeah, it honors the Lord. And by the way, that's why we try to keep a really tight circle on the finances of the church. Listen, I have no idea who gives what. And that's on purpose. I don't need to know what the right and the left hand is doing in this church, you know, and all that stuff. The very few people who do are very trustworthy people who have been vetted and selected and proven and all that type of stuff. You have to have people managing that stuff. Otherwise, it'd be irresponsible. I'm just letting you know. Don't get all hung up on that. Just check your motives with the Lord when you give, but it's not only giving in the church, but it's giving to people around you, right? Giving to people around you, giving to different places and things. And so listen, uh, the Lord just says we, we can do things in a way that draws attention to ourselves. And if you do that, there's your reward. Have fun with that. That's, that's not really great. And so, but there's a promise that although a person may know nothing of what you've done for them, God saw what you did. He saw it in secret. And what does God say he will do? He will reward you. And God's rewards aren't like the rewards of men. They're eternal. They're everlasting. Treasures stored up for you in heaven not able to, you know, it's like we've, if, if you've forgotten about the good deeds you did 10 years ago, praise God, God has not. And on that day, he's gonna be like, Hey, remember that? You're like, what? It's like, yeah, 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 totally. Well invested. Here's your reward, you know? And, and I don't know how that's going to be manifested, but it's obviously going to be spiritual and awesome. But the promise is that God, even though no one sees what you're doing, God is going to reward you. He sees. Amen. Now, the second bad and good example of a righteous act is that of prayer. Verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Same thing. He's teaching in repetition, right? Just he's switching the deed. Same thing. Jesus here is addressing the hypocritical prayer. Prayer, uh, uh, prayers prayed to be seen by others. I'm a professional public prayer. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, whether I have to pray whether whether I, I feel like it or not, right? And I get up in front of people and I have to focus and all this type of stuff. But listen, this is not condemning public prayer. That's not what it's doing. People who tend to not pray in public, they go, oh, look, I, I got a loophole. I don't have to pray in public. Amen. And all those people say amen. Amen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not forcing you to either. By the way, you don't you don't have to. Right. That's not what it's saying either. But the scriptures are filled with examples of people, the people of God gathering together and praying in a very public way. That, that happens, right? Uh, this is very biblical. It shouldn't be mistaken for what Jesus is condemning here. That's not what he's doing. Some examples of prayer, of, the, of public prayer in Acts. I'll just give some out of Acts real quickly. It's not going to be on your screen, but if you're taking notes, Acts 112, Acts 112. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from a hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were all staying. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus with his brothers. Believers got together and prayed. Amen. And you're going, okay, well, it's together in secret. Ah, oh, well. Verse Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking bread and to prayer. That's the church develop, devotes itself to prayer together in alone. Chapter three, verse one of Acts. And one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Very public event. They went to church to pray together with other people. Verse in chapter four, verse 23, read for Peter and John were flogged by their religious leaders. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests had done. And the elders had said to them, verse 24 of chapter four of Acts, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And so prayer is something the church does publicly and together in our homes at, in here in this building. Amen. So, so I'm not, we're, Jesus is not saying don't pray. Corporate prayer or public prayer is not condemned by the Lord. Don't, don't mistake that. By the way, we have a prayer meeting. Shameless plug. Sunday evening, this coming Sunday at 7 p.m. Great time to exercise biblical prayer. Join together. But don't come if you're coming to be seen by others. If that's your motive, stay home. If your motive is, gosh, I just want, you know, Pastor Matt to hear me pray. It's like, oh, no. You know, or whatever it is, you know, I, I, I don't know what goes on. I mean, I can only imagine when I'm around other people, like how I'm going to phrase my words sometimes or, you know, and I want to impress so and so. Listen, we all got evil intentions sometimes, but in prayer, it's like you know, if you're coming to seek God with the people of God and just to lay your heart before him, come on. Amen. And, and if you got that stuff going on in your heart, I don't want to say stay home, come and confess it and let's let's pray together. Amen. But that's what Jesus warns against prayer. That's for the praise of men. You know, now how many of you really struggle with that? Yeah, it's probably, this is a mat section here uh, or someone in public or someone of 
you know, an official, but Jesus gives us insight into the hearts of those who are guilty of this. He calls them hypocrites in verse five actors betraying one thing on the outside, you know, while something else is going on on the inside on the inside, they're not praying to seek God. What are they doing? They're not praying for his will, for his purposes and all that type of stuff. They're praying to receive the praise of men. They're praying to seem spiritual to those people around them so that they would admire them and receive praise from them. Um, they position themselves in very public places, whether at church or in the synagogue. Again, it was a different type of setting where there was constant little prayer things going on. Remember the Jews had to pray morning, midday and evening, right? But they would do that in such a way where people would see them. And, and that was common in their society to pray, but People would say, man, look at that guy. Look at how he prays. I can't believe. I mean, when I grow up, I want to be like them. Look at the, their shawl and how they cover it over their head. Man, look at how they face the Western wall. It's just so awesome. I can't believe that. And just the words, they even pray in King James. It's just, man. God's got to hear them because it's, it's with that, ah, so polished. And then you have people starting to sound like them and all that kind of stuff. Jesus says, those hypocrites have their reward. Motives matter to God. Motives matter to God. So what do we do about this? Jesus says in verse six, but when you pray church, go into your room or your closet more because usually they just had one room, but go into your closet, right? <laughs> and shut the door and pray to your father. Who's in what is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Same, same thing. Just like giving the focus of prayer is not men. It's God. That's the focus on the heart of prayer. So when we pray our default prayer life, church, our default prayer life, is to be in the secret with God. That's what it's to be. And then the exception or the expression, the public expression of that is to be an outflowing of that inside time. Make sense? Yes, we pray with others. Yes, we pray at small groups and all those types of things as God compels you. But that's to be the default. It's, it's a faith is something that happens when no one's looking. Amen. And it's also something that gets expressed in the public square. But if it's just on the outside and not on the, the other way, then we've got a major issue. And that's what the Pharisees were. And I would say this about worship as well. Worshiping your heart with the Lord, not just on Sundays, not just in this room. If the only time we're singing to God and worshiping God and praising God is, is in this room, we've got something wrong. Same with prayer. Same with being in the word. Amen. All those types of things. And I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. So open your Bible in the secret place. Spend time. See God is spirit and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. We worship him when no one's looking. Jesus says, pray in secret with the Lord and your father who sees in secret, he'll reward you. There is nothing like a prayer given in secret to the Lord that he answers. That does something to your faith that is profound. How many of you have experienced that? 
when you pray to God in your heart of hearts and no one else knows about it and he answers you. I mean, that is a fa- that is worth. Man, that's how many attaboys is that worth? How many praises of men? You can't even, it's not even the same economy. It's so precious when God, because your faith is real. God, you're communing with God. There is a love transaction that happens there. Amen. Amen. Guys, could you turn the air up? I'm getting cold. If I'm cold, they're cold. So. So we are, we are to primarily pray. Uh, our prayer life is to be a private one. Well, then he says, and when you pray verse seven, he starts to go into a, a teaching on prayer it says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. The Gentiles do for, they think that they will be heard for their many words. How many of you struggle with how to pray? Jesus is going to teach us how to pray real quickly. He says, don't do It's not about the many words. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is what you need to know about God in prayer. He knows what you need before you ask him. You're not surprising him. You're not giving him information. He does not know. Amen. Like he's like, Oh my goodness. You have that payment coming up. I had no idea. I'm so busy. I have no idea. You know, he knows what you need before you ask it. So, so start with that premise, right? I like what Spurgeon said on this says Christian prayers are measured by weight, not by length. It's not by the many words we have, right? Most of the prevailing prayers have been as short as they were strong. I like that by Spurgeon, the Gentiles, the pagan religionists of the day, they prayed with many words. They prayed with mantras, repeated mindless words. And they thought because they repeated things over and over and over that somehow they could stir up God to hear them. They didn't know God. That's the Jesus is saying. They don't know God. That he hears, he knows what you need before you need it. Jesus says, don't be like that. Jesus makes the point. Don't be like them. They don't know God. The father already knows what you need before I ask him. And and, and so Jesus goes on to give us a model prayer. He goes, and he goes, pray like this. Now, really quickly, keep in mind what he just said. Don't pray in vain repetition. And then what does he do? He goes, now pray in this manner. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. It is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm going to finish it out here. This is not the prayer part, but for if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive other trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. Now, sadly, what have we done with the Lord's prayer? Anybody turn it into a vain repetition? He just said, don't do that. You think because you pray these words, God's going to hear you. You think, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and, And this is what God wants to grow us in is our understanding is that we're communicating with God. He says, listen, this is the heart of prayer. I just want you to know the heart of talking to your father. This is what it's like. It begins verse nine with the focus on the object of our prayer. Our father says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right. And I'm even doing King James because there it is. But getting our eyes off ourselves in prayer and onto the object of our faith, our father, we're praying to our father. 
And there's so much there. And I'm not going to do a super in-depth teaching on this, but our father who is in heaven, what does that mean? He's above your problems. He's above all principalities and powers and dominions and authorities. He's above what's going on in Ukraine. He's going above what's going on in our economy. He's above politics. He's above angels and demons and whatever you can throw at him. He's above it all. He's in heaven. He's seated on his throne. Amen. And when your eyes start focusing on where God is, that puts your prayer in perspective. Amen. It stirs up faith. Yes, he's in heaven. It says, hallowed be your name. Set apart is your name. You're like no one else is the idea there. Verse 10. And then it moves from who we're talking to. But now, and in light of that, it says your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The heart of prayer is that his will would be done. Did you know that's the purpose of prayer? That's where the power of prayer is, is that you pray according to his will. You're praying. Everything you're praying is according to his name, his glory, that everything would be lined up with that, that it would be done just as you have it all ordered up there, that this rebellious place, this rebellious heart, everything around us would be ordered, would be brought into your will. That's what I want to pray that your will be done. Amen. And that leads you. Do we know God's will? This is John 15, right? Abide in me, abide my word, my word in you. You're going to then ask and I'll answer because you're, you know, my heart, you know, my will. And those are the prayers I answer. You're frustrated in your prayer life. Start getting into God's will and start asking for it. And now watch him work. Yeah. That's what prayer's for. That he would be glorified. And by the way, God is not ignorant of our needs. Notice it's his will be done, but verse 11 and give us this day, our daily bread. God cares about you eating today. God cares about your clothes. He cares about your health. He cares about your physical bodies. I know we sometimes downplay that and push the spiritual, but he cares about you. All of you. Did you know that? He really loves you. He really wants to take care of you. And he does. He cares about you more than the birds of the field. And that's what he's going to go into here for the rest of the chapter. So I won't preach it now. So we pray for our physical needs, but guess what? Also our spiritual needs. So he does there in verse, uh, in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And as you're in presence of a holy God, guess what? We realize that we're in debt. Forgive us of our debts, Lord, forgive us of our sins. So he takes care of not only our physical needs, but our spiritual needs, the need for forgiveness, but also notice that as a context, what is the context? As we forgive our debtors. Amen. And that's why Jesus says in verse 14, 15, why I read it already is for, if you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. He repeats this in chapter 18 as well. So we forgive and we are forgiven. That's the life of a believer. We have been forgiven. And so we are forgivers. Amen. And, and then we pray for his divine guidance and protection. Look at verse 13 and, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. Right. And it's not saying that God leads us into temptation. We, we know in James chapter one, he squares that away. God doesn't lead us into evil. He's not leading us into temptation. Yes. He leads us to testing, but not temptation, but Lord, 
Keep me from going down the path of temptation. And and when I have deliver me from the evil one or deliver me from the evil one who would seek to take me down the path of temptation, right? We praying for his guidance. We're praying for his hand upon our life. So the Lord's prayer to the father who is hallowed for his will to be done for physical and spiritual provision for food and forgiveness, right? For his guidance and deliverance. And so we're to pray in this way. There's a lot more to prayer, but Jesus just lays it out for us there very simply. There's Thanksgiving, there's supplication, there's tons of, so he just gives a very simple model. It's not all inclusive. So we're to pray in this way. We're in this, when we're in a secret place with him. And the last example, as we finish up here, that the Lord gives us of righteous deeds done in a good and bad way is that of fasting. Verse 16. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces and their fast that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, fasting is is a voluntarily is voluntarily not eating for the purposes of seeking God. And in almost all the examples that we have in scripture are when either a nation or a people or a person is facing extreme circumstances like examples, like the death of David's child in second Samuel uh, 12, 16 through 18, or the Jews fasted when Haman was going to exterminate them. That's an Esther chapter four, 13 and 16. And then the Jews were going to be conquered by three armies in second Chronicles chapter 20. And so Jehoshaphat gathers the whole nation together of Judah and they fast and they pray and they seek the God. In other words, it's a time when it's such a, we need to hear from God. And so everything stops, food stops. And it's just seeking God for, for his intervention and his help and his wisdom. And even when you move to the new Testament, uh, the examples of prayer are like in the context of deliverance. Uh, for example, uh, when it, when the disciples in somewhere in Luke and doing it by memory, but somewhere in Luke, he says, uh, you know, they got bummed out. Like Jesus comes down from the Mount, Tran- Mount of Transfiguration and they couldn't cast out a demon. And Jesus says, oh, because that kind only comes out through fast and pray- fasting and prayer. And you're going, okay, well, what in the world is that about? But the context is that there was a deliverance that needed to happen. They needed to seek God in prayer for this to be overcome. Some kind of spiritual um you know, enemy there. And so that seems to be the context of prayer and fasting. When something is overwhelming in your life, when there is a, a need to seek God moment, people, they, they, they stop with the food and they just seek God together. There's a desperation in their heart of seeking God. There's a lot more to it, but that's just the general gist of what I see in fasting. Okay. There's a lot more to it, but that's the, those are the general overarching Teachings, And we, we do see examples of the Pharisees fasting twice a week in Luke and things like that. But see, when they were fasting, what happened is they, they let everybody know <laughs> that they were fasting. I'm not eating and I want everyone to know it. And therefore I'm going to make everybody see how much I'm seeking God and how spiritual I am and how hungry I am. And they'd walk around with disfigured faces and, and just moping and, and just like, Oh, you know, this is such a burden brother. You know, Let's see if God answers this one, you know what I mean? They're just trying to pull all this stuff out of, 
out of people for their own praise. And Jesus saw through their act. It wasn't seeking God. That's not why you're fasting. You want to be seen by men. And so you're going to, you're willing to do that. So because they were going without food and all this stuff, they disfigured their faces and they walked around moping. And so they drew attention to themselves. Jesus says, you hypocrites, there you have your reward. Don't follow in that vein. So Jesus instructs us in verse 17, but when you fast, if that happens, by the way, it's voluntary. If you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't make a big deal about it before everybody else. Wash your hair. If you normally put lotion on your face, because we're in Walla Walla, put lotion on your face. Don't not do it. So people will see how, oh man, what's wrong with you today? Ah, oh, you know, fasting. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't you guys, or some of you guys are laughing going, I've been there. He says, do you do that? You have your reward. Instead, go about your, go about your day. Eat your, you know, don't eat your breakfast, but put on, you know, do your hair, do what you would do. Make yourself not look like you're fasting. Now, obviously there's some times when people need to know you're fasting. If you're married, you don't, you know, if you're fasting, you're not like, oh, honey, I just don't like your cooking anymore. You know, just, <laughs> but I'll eat on Tuesday, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, and again, it's, you're trying to do this in secret, but there's, there's times when it has to be communicated, right? I feel really badly. Sometimes uh, I, I can't remember who, and I, that's a good thing because, you know, I remember trying to get together with someone for lunch and, and they like, you know, they ghosted me kind of a thing. I'm just like, what did I do? Something's wrong. You know, I just like, Oh, great. You know, I kept pushing them on. Hey man, come on. You know, what's, what's going on? They're like, I'm fasting, man. I'm like, Oh, like they, I had to pull it out of them, you know, cause they knew that like, I was like, starting to take offense. Like what's going on? Our relationship with, you know, did I do, you know, I didn't pick up on the signals, but they were so good at it. I didn't know, you know, and it's like, there's times when you, you know, don't feel bad. Just say, listen, brother, I can't eat. Can we meet a different day? Or, or, you know, you, you guys know how to do that. But the idea is we don't do it. So everybody knows and we drop hints. And so the point of all this, this morning and hopefully it's, it's convicting. Roll that into every aspect of, of your relationship with the Lord. Are we being hypocritical in, in our righteous deeds before God, in our prayer life, in our worship life, in our giving, in our serving, and all these types of things? Are we doing it for the praise of people? Are we doing it for the glory of God? Lord, I'm just guilty of this, God. I'm, I'm a hypocrite. And I ask that you'd forgive me and change me and continue to grow me, Lord. And Lord, for my brothers and sisters this morning, I just ask that you would cleanse us as a church and help us to worship in spirit and truth and in a way that would glorify you, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day.